Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. You guys doing well? All right, I'm going to change that. <laughs> not me, and, um, and, and maybe not. I don't know. I, uh, I I shared the first service, and the reason I'm sitting down today and uh, just kind of taking a different approach is because um, I don't have any notes for today, and I every time I went to write this week. Lord said, just hold on. Just hold on. And even at 10 o'clock last night, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Just hold on. And what the Lord was doing in my heart as I read this scripture, just, just so you know where we're going, let me lay all the cards out on the table now. This is John chapter 13. This is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The majority of you have heard it. Um, but as I... As I opened my heart this week to say, God, have your way in my life, God said, are you sure? I said, yeah. And he stepped on my toes pretty hard. Convicted me pretty hard. And I think, and I believe, that if we take this next 45 minutes and say, God, I genuinely want you to have your way in my life. He's going to turn your life upside down. If we just say, God, even if, it need, even if you need to step on my toes today, I want that. Show me where I've erred in this. Then what would come of that is is more glorious than than where we are right now. And so I'm just going to trust that the spirit will guide and direct us. Uh I trust the spirit every week, even when I have notes, God can use that as well. I just felt like the Lord said, "Hey, sit down. Just talk. And let's all open our hearts to God and say, "Have your way, Lord. Ha- have your way right now." In this next hour, we're setting aside our distractions. We're not concerned about what we're going to have for lunch. We're just going to say, God, move over our hearts. Okay? John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my, and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to, be wa- to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word which guides and directs us inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit instruments in Your hands. These men wrote these words. Timeless, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide joint from marrow, bone from marrow. Father, pierce our hearts today. That we might look more like You and sound more like You and act more like You. For Your glory, Your kingdom come, Your will be done right now in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so they had gathered for the Passover feast. We mentioned as we've been studying the book of John that John, the the author, slows things way down in the last week of Jesus' life spends several chapters covering this... Well, frankly, there's no more important week in history, is there? And so as John does, we see the need for that as well. And now what he's doing, we've entered into really the last 
24 hours of Jesus' life. And John slows things down even more. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all one conversation. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's really the last thing that Jesus wanted to say to his disciples as he knows his hour has now come. That's how the, the, the chapter starts out. He knew that his hour had come. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the cross was in sight. He knew that he was leaving this ragtag, motley crew, and eventually they were the ones that were going to start the church. And so he wants to impart some things to them. He wants to teach them and mold them. And so he spends these chapters pouring into their lives this, this wisdom. And as we go over this in the next couple months, we really need to allow it to wreck our lives in a good way. This, this wisdom in this upper room discourse to, to change us, to mold us, and to shape us. They had gathered for the Passover feast. They had been doing that for century upon century upon century. They were commanded to do it. It was a celebration of what God had done on behalf of them when they were slaves still in Egypt. How God brought the ten plagues, and then the, the, the last of the plagues being the, the Passover, where, where the death angel then passed over the families of Israel, taking the firstborn of those of the Egyptians. They had a, a routine, they had a, a, a plan laid out in the way that they were to celebrate this meal. Initially, it was something, it was a meal that was to be eaten in haste. Take it quickly and, and you're, you're to eat it in a, in a quick way and to, you know, it said gird your loins and be on the ready to run. It was unleavened bread. It was supposed to be made quickly. And it was a, a you know, this is, you're getting out of Dodge quickly. What it had become as now Jesus celebrates it is more of a, a celebration of what, what God had done on their behalf. And it wasn't a meal taken quickly any longer. It was, something that you and I don't experience anymore. It was a lounging, relaxing evening. The, the meal took all evening. They, they sat and lounged around the table. We don't get that anymore, do we? We, we live in such a society, we cram our schedules so full that to sit down at the table for an hour is impossible. Uh, our daughters, uh, one of our sons, dances at uh, a company up in Westerville um, three nights a week. At 7 o'clock, we have to have them there. I get off work at 4.30, sometimes later, 45 minutes home. I'm getting home 5.15, 5.30. got to you know, I got to clean up, we got to eat dinner, and we got to ha- leave them. And it is very often that as we sit down to the meal, I look up at the clock and I say, We have seven minutes till we need to leave. Go. And we don't, we don't 
lounge around as a family anymore. We don't enjoy the food placed in front of us. And I think my life isn't different than your life in a, in a grand way. A lot of us live life that way. That's not what this was about. Jesus had sent his disciples beforehand to go and prepare this meal. They found this upper room where they could use it. And, and so the disciples had, had put, put together this meal. They had a special table. They had a special menu. This was a special time and a special event. The, uh, the table that they was, would use was called a triclinium. A triclinium. Sounds like something out of Star Trek, right? That's the recorder they used, wasn't it? The little doot-doot. <laughs> I don't know. A triclinium was a U-shaped table, but um, it was the height of your coffee table at home. And they would throw pillows around it, and they would literally lounge at the table. They would kick their feet back. They would lay down and enjoy the meal, and they would savor the moment, enjoy one another's fellowship, enjoy one another's time. And that's what Jesus is doing hours before He's going to the cross. Knowing He's going to the cross, He says, it's okay, I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to hang out with these guys I've been hanging out with for three years. I'm going to love them to the end. And what does that mean to the end of his life? To some degree, yes. But more than that, it means going to love them to the uttermost. Jesus is going to give them everything he's got when it comes to love. He's going to pour out everything he has to love them in every way that he can. And so they're sitting there, and, and we don't get that from the account in, in John, but if you look at the account in Luke, as they're sitting there, they would they would sit um, in in accordance with um, importance. They would they would establish a ranking in the seats. Jesus having the seat of honor, and and John would tell us. Well, we know where John was, right? He was laying at the breast of Jesus. He would never say John was laying at the breast of Jesus. It was the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> John would never mention his name himself, you know. Uh, but uh, So Jesus in the prominent seat, John right next to him. We don't know this to be true or not, but as we read the story, it's appropriate if we put Peter in the last seat. He's down at the end of the table, you know, almost to the kids' table. You remember that? Remember when you got to move from the kids' table up to the adult table? You weren't allowed to talk yet. You can join us here, but you stay quiet. <laughs> Peter's down there looking at this. And as they're enjoying their meal, and as they're celebrating, conversation breaks out. Go to Luke's account to read about it. They start discussing, as they look at their seats perhaps, and where they're sitting, the disciple in number six spot, Matthew, don't know who it is, looks up at the number four spot and says, why is, why is Bartholomew up there? Why, why am I not up there? And two brothers in particular get into it and they say, I don't deserve this seat. You deserve this seat. You need to move down here. I need to move up there. I'm greater than you are. 
And the, it begins to escalate. And I imagine Jesus knowing what was going on, perhaps ignoring it for the time. They, he lets it continue to escalate. And finally, they bring him into this conversation that probably he doesn't want to be brought into. And he, they ask him, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest among us? Who's the greatest among us? Where, where do I belong in all of this? I'm definitely better than that guy. And more than Jesus' response with his words, I think he answers with his actions. He rises up. He takes off his clothes. girds himself with a cloth, a, a towel. He walks over and he fills a basin with water. He takes that basin to John. And he stoops down, he bends down on his knees. Grabs John's foot and takes off his sandal. He begins to wipe the dust and the dirt away till they're clean. And then he dries them with the towel. And he gets up and he goes to the next disciple. He does the same thing. And I can imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I can imagine that conversation probably stopped pretty, pretty quickly. And things got real quiet. I wonder how long it took for Jesus to wash 12 pairs or 11 pairs of feet. 12 pairs, depends. I don't know. But I can imagine everybody was stunned and was shocked at what was happening. And you say, why? In that day and age, if you were a young boy coming up, looking for a job, or if you had made some wrong choices and ended up spending time in prison, and now we're out and looking for a job, you could find one as the lowest of low servants. One, one not even recognized generally by the other servants that served alongside you. Those of you that watch Downton Abbey and all the stuff that goes on in the servant quarters there, nothing like that. This was the one that would sleep out in the, in the carriage house. This is the one that would sleep with the animals. He had no right, no standing. And your job would be whenever the house had a guest, it was your job to remove the dirt and debris by washing the guests' feet. It was a debase job. It was, it was one that nobody wanted, but if somebody was starving, would take. It was so debased that as a um, rabbi, as a teacher... 
If you, in, in those days, if you had disciples that followed you, you couldn't ask your disciples to wash your feet. It was too debased to ask even your disciples who followed you to wash your feet. And so Jesus doesn't. He doesn't ask his disciples to wash his feet. He washes theirs. And I can imagine, I don't know who they were, who it was that went to prepare the meal, but it was obviously something that they overlooked. They could have, as they brought in the menu, as they set up the furniture, as they arranged the room, they certainly could have found somebody to come in and and be the person to wash the feet. It wouldn't have cost very much money to hire somebody for the day. Whoever they were, as Jesus girds the robe, I can imagine the shame coming over them and saying, oh, we, we overlooked this. We blew it. And Jesus goes from person to person, probably not in any kind of hurry, letting it all sink in. And Peter's at the end of the table. All the while going, I got the lowest seat. How, how can I, uh, how can I redeem myself among these guys? Or how can I maybe show them the, the foolishness that they are? Or, and in his pride, he develops this idea, a plan. I know what I'll do. I'll refuse. Jesus washing my feet. And so I imagine as Jesus is next to Peter, he's like, Oh, it's almost here. I can't wait to, I can't wait to hammer these guys because they blew it. They, they ruined this time. They, they missed what Jesus was trying to get at. And Peter in his pride is like, I got it. And Jesus turns to Peter and begins to loose his sandals. And Peter's like, Oh, no, no, Jesus. No, you're not going to wash my feet. I, I know that that's not right. You're not going to wash my feet. <laughs> and Jesus, ever patient with Peter, <laughs> far more patient than I would be with Peter, says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. Let me do this. I'll explain it. In a minute, let me do it. And so in that moment, Peter's like, oh, oh okay. And, and in fact, Jesus goes on to say, if I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. That's true of us, isn't it? If we're not washed by the blood of the Lamb, we have no part with Him. And so the wrecking ball that Peter is, as he smashed one wall by saying, you know what, I don't wash my feet. He, the pendulum swings the other way and he takes out the other wall. He says, well, fine then. Give it all to me. Bathe me, Jesus. Head, hands, give it all. He, he's, he's, he's just a, I don't know if he was bipolar. I don't know if he was just, you know, just the whole wrecking ball thing going on. He's crashing into one wall with pride and he says, fine. If that's the case, if I didn't get it right that way, I'll go the complete opposite way to say, all right, just give me it all, Jesus. 
And Jesus said, no, that's not the point either. You've already been cleansed. He who, who has been cleansed just needs his feet washed, Peter. And that was true in that day. As uh, they had the Roman baths, they would, these, these, you'd hire a bath or you, you'd, you'd buy time in the bath and you would go and sit in it for an hour, two hours, however long it was, and relax. But then as it was time to get out of the bath, you would walk from the bath back to the changing room on dirt floors. And so you get into the changing room, and as you begin to change, there would be a servant there to <laughs> cleanse the feet that had just gotten dirty after you had been out, uh, you know, in the bath. And so you would be completely clean, get changed, and go. And that's the, the analogy that Jesus is drawing there for Peter. So after all of that, Jesus or Peter once again humbled. Jesus washes his feet as well. And then he rises up and he takes the towel off and he puts his clothing back on and he sits down and has this four-chapter conversation. I love that about Jesus. He never teaches before he touches. The saying goes, you've heard it, people don't care how much you know, right? Until they know how much you care. People, people don't care that you have all the theology down if you're not going to help them, if you're not going to minister to them, if you're not going to meet their needs. People don't care how much you know until they see that you're caring. Jesus always touches before He teaches. What's really neat, before we get into our application and how we might it might step on our toes, is this whole foot washing is a, a beautiful picture of what's called the kenosis. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, it's um, the, uh, where, where uh, Paul talks about the kenosis. It means the emptying of himself. That's what Christ has done on our behalf. He has emptied himself. He has clothed himself with humanity. He has taken on the limitations of man. And as you look at the, what Jesus did throughout the, the foot washing time, it, it perfectly represents what Jesus did in the kenosis. Let me try to show you. First thing Jesus does is He rises and He takes off His clothing. That's what he did in heaven as well. He rose from the banquet table of all banquet tables that will never end. The glory, the fellowship of the Father. He rises from that table and he takes off his glory. And then he girds himself with a towel. And Philippians 2 would say he clothes himself with humanity. He takes on the limitations that you and I have. 
You know, it, it, for the longest time, as I looked at the miracles of Jesus, I simply said, big deal, he's Jesus. He walked on water because he's Jesus. He healed the sick because he's Jesus. He, 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 he caused the blind to see. Well, because he's Jesus. And certainly that is the case. But, but when you come to the realization that what he did to come to this earth was take on the limitations that you and I have, then you look at the miracles that he has done. They're far grander. That all he did while he walked to this earth was tap into the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that you and I have dwelling inside of our heart. It's beautiful to watch what He has done. That He had those limitations. He girded Himself with the robe. He clothed Himself with humanity. He became nothing. A servant to all. He washed the disciples' feet the lowest of the low. And after that was completed, after that act of sacrifice was finished, He rose up, got dressed again, and sat down. Jesus, after the price had been paid on the cross for you and I, rose up ascended into glory, put on His righteous robes once again, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So you look at this picture of the the foot-washing ceremony, and you see this beautiful picture of how Jesus left His glory in heaven, became a debased servant, paid a price, that we could not pay and rose back to glory where He sits now. And then He begins to teach. And He looks at each of them and He says, I'm going to love them with all that I have. And I need to show them that God's economy, God's way of doing things is far different than fighting for your batting position. And he says, you call me Master and Lord. And he takes that, he receives that, he takes that glory and says, yep, that's right. That's who I am. I am your Master. I am your Lord. I'm about to buy you with a price. The price of my own blood is what he's saying. If you call me Master and Lord, and I give you an example, then I would expect you to follow that example. As I, Jesus saying, as I am loving you to the very end with everything that I have, that's what you should do for one another. 
It shouldn't be about a, a contest to see who is the greatest. So grateful for Pastor Dave, and I've gleaned so much from him, but perhaps the greatest thing is just a simple definition of love. Love is being others-centered. Caring more about somebody else than you care about yourself. And Jesus says, hey, it's great that you call me Master and Lord. Make sure your lives line up with your mouth. Show me that you, I am your Master and Lord. Do the things that I have done for you. He doesn't ask us to go somewhere He's not willing to go Himself. He washed the disciples' feet first. <laughs> and so... It, he closes the thought with this. He says, blessed is he who knows this, but also does it. And so now you're probably wondering, what, what's, he, what's Chris driving at? What's he going to do? Is he going to ask me to take off my shoes? Are we going to do a foot washing ceremony right here, right now? Because that kind of stuff, I didn't wash my feet this morning and there might be some cheese stuck between the toes <laughs> and I don't know if I want to go that route. And No, I'm not going to do that. I... Uh, I, I took part in a foot washing ceremony once. It was awkward. <laughs> is that what Jesus is driving at here? That we need to wash one another's feet? No. They did that for centuries. Where right around the Passover meal, the church would get the basins out. They would say, here, wash the people's feet. Good. We've got that done for this year. We don't have to worry about it until next year. That's missing the point entirely. It's not about washing. We live in, I got closed shoes on, you know. We, we don't, our feet don't get dirty. It might stink a little. My feet stink a little. I'm ready to admit that before my friends. But it's not like those days. What is he saying? Live your life like he's your master and Lord. Live your life like you genuinely care about somebody else more than you care about yourself. And as I think about those things, and the conviction comes to say, man, I've failed that. I have blown that so often with my wife, with my kids with my church. I have not served the way Jesus commands us to serve. The beautiful thing is, His grace is sufficient. And for every time that I've failed, His grace is even greater. Where sin runs deep, we sang it before, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. And so if you feel the conviction like I have felt the conviction this week, and you look at your life and we say, God, expose where I've failed in this, and you see how you have disappointed Him, not, not entirely failed Him, 
but perhaps have not lived the way that you've been called to live, His grace is here and sufficient. Hear that. Where we have failed, we are forgiven. But you woke up this morning and you have breath in your lungs. Mm -hmm. So who's your disciples? Who are you going to love to the bitter end? And if right now you're going, I don't know if I have any, you failed. We're all commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples. And if you can't think of somebody, you've failed. But His grace is sufficient. And today is another chance. Mm -hmm. And you have breath in your lungs. And we can rise up from this place. And we can say, He is my Master, my Lord. And I don't want to just say it. I want to live it. I'm going to get out. I'm going to untie some shoes. I'm going to pull up my sleeves. I'm going to get my hands in the water, the Word of God. I'm going to wash people's feet. I'm going to show with my actions that I love my God. He's going to go on to say in verse 35 of this chapter, the world will know that you are a Christian by how you love one another. And that's true today too. The world needs to see something different. I've been preaching that for three months now. That if we don't look different enough from the world, then they're not going to come to us. They need to see that God has impacted our lives in a positive and a good way. They need to see the change in us. The way they see the change in us is when we start loving one another. When we start caring more about one another than we care about ourselves. When we start laying down our lives and we say, you know what, God has blessed me with some things that I don't need, and I see that you have a need, I'm going to meet you in your need. I'm going to... You're struggling in this area. You need a a person to come alongside you and hold you accountable. I'm going to meet you in that need and we're going to walk through this together. I'm going to show you that I love you. Like I said, we all, I blow this a lot. But what I think... I want to get out of today is to say going forward, I don't want to blow it anymore. For when I started teaching, I've got many, many pastors that influenced me and many ones that I didn't or that I listened to on a regular basis. Matt Chandler, one of my favorites, he closes his sermons almost all the time with, I love you more than you know. And you're like, hey, Chris, that's what you say. (laughs) Yeah, I stole it. (laughs) 
And so I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm going to show it. I ask that you would too. That the world would know we serve an awesome God who is worthy of our lives. Amen? Amen. Stan, let's close them. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. And if we're honest, we can admit freely, Lord, amongst our friends that we have blown this. Jesus, as you have laid the example for us to wash one another's feet, we have failed time and time again. And we come expecting us to move up in the pecking order. Forgive us, Lord. Jesus, thank you for paying the price that even in this, our sin has been forgiven. We have been redeemed. And by your grace and by your mercy, I pray that every day we have from now until your kingdom comes and we see you face to face, that each day in the sanctification process, we would look more and more like you. girding our lives with a towel and washing and loving and caring for all that You have given to us, O God. Continue to mold and shape our hearts as we continue to press on in this upper room discourse. I pray that this would wreck our lives in a beautiful way for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.